0: Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Well, welcome back. And another friend that we uh, kind of got, last time I talked to him and he was heading out to go skiing. <laughs> But we found him. We're glad to have him back. And that is a retired Army Major General Jeff Schlosser is back with us today. He's an aviator who commanded the 101st Airborne Division for 33 months, including 15 months in combat and in Afghanistan. He's also 34-year Army career. He served in Afghanistan, Iraq, Kosovo, Albania, Kuwait, boy, all over the place, uh, korea and twice in germany and he's the author of a fascinating book entitled uh, marathon war leadership in combat in afghanistan check that book out and he has a website jeffsloser.com general way too long friend how are you oh we don't have your audio
1: so, a little there on the. oh, oh geez and, uh,
0: it wasn't from skiing <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, hopefully you didn't make your wife mad. No, no, that's all
0: fine. Uh, everything's uh, tranquil at the home front. Uh, actually, I slipped in the shower this morning, so little things uh, happen. T- <laughs> Good to see you, friend. Uh Gosh, where do we start? Let me just ask you a simple little question. Is what's happening in the Middle East any kind of a result of what happened in Afghanistan?
1: Well, that's a great point. I mean, I think that any time that uh, the United States—you uh, know, I still we're, we are still the global superpower. Any time that we demonstrate what looks to be, from outsider viewpoints, uh, weakness, then we open ourselves up to opportunities. Now, whether Hamas chose that time or, you know, perhaps Iran pushing Hamas, um, it's hard to tell. I think there's a broader strategic uh, point there, though, that, I mean, I think that um, this was calculated for over a year, and I do believe that uh, Iran was tied to it, to the impetus to do this. Um, and I think that they had a strategic intent, uh, potentially, uh, you know, to try to derail a um, Saudi-Israeli uh, type of an agreement um, that uh, have been in, has been in the works for some time.
0: Yeah. Uh, any idea why we didn't pick up—we and even Israel didn't pick up on an, any intelligence on this one?
1: Uh, this is a great strategic failure. I mean, we've, you know, in my life, I've seen strategic failures, tactical failures, but this was absolute one. Uh, This area of the world, you know, the the 2.3 million residents of the Gaza Strip uh, are overseen by a number of different capabilities out there. You know, everything from basically, uh, you know, uh, autonomous uh, types of capabilities and all the way out to uh, just human intelligence, it was a huge failure. I'm sure that when there is time for breath, uh, Israel and the United States uh, will try to do a complete study of what actually happened and make sure that it doesn't happen again. But it was a strategic failure uh, of—it goes all the way back to almost looking like Pearl Harbor for the United States, for sure.
0: Mm. Um, What's your 30,000-foot view what's going on over there?
1: Well, I think that uh, Hamas, you know, from a, a rational viewpoint, it, it seems probably incoherent from most of us in the United States. Why would they purposely do something of this nature so um, uh, so calculated and yet so devastating, really? 1,400 Israeli you know, civilians, by and large. Uh, massacred in, in one, one day, uh, why would they do that? Because they had to know that it would result in uh, most of Hamas being eliminated over a period of time. And I, and I truly do believe that's uh, Israel's intent. And, and I think most uh, nations that uh, uh, understand how uh, terrorism occurs uh, back that intent, to get rid of Hamas, basically, as an entity. Um, they had to know that that would happen, uh, and yet uh, it still occurred. They still decided to do it. And that's, I think, the, the hard point uh, to try to figure out. Why would a terrorist group choose to almost, uh, you know, eliminate itself uh, through a period of time in which they, they did something of this nature? My guess is going to be is the great great unanswered questions, Perry, are how does this end, you know, uh, to borrow Dave Petraeus's uh, comment about uh, Iraq Mm. uh, and put it into the Gaza Strip, but how does this end? And then how does it change the calculus? And and I do think politically that there may be some—you know, this was a—could potentially have been a desperation move as well uh, by Hamas just uh, to say you know, no, it's not going well for the Palestinian Authority, it's not going well for PLO, it's not going, well, clearly, for their terrorist interest in Hamas. Um, do something desperate of this nature to try to change the calculus. I do, I'm very deeply concerned that it doesn't spread to the West Bank, the occupied portion of East Jerusalem, or uh, up in the northern part of Israel, where Hezbollah uh, basically runs the southern part of Lebanon. Uh, all of those are extremely dangerous. Iran could be extremely dangerous uh, as well.
0: Do you believe that Iran is behind all this?
1: I absolutely do. Okay. Uh, I, Absolutely. All right. Uh, so think- th- that
0: leads to a question. Then, um, are, are we going to cut the tail off the snake or the head off the snake?
1: Yeah. Right now, we're cutting the tail off bit by bit by bit. We're not. We're not working on the uh, the head. As you well know, though, it's unusual for. Um, the United States to put two aircraft carrier battle groups into one region. We have two there. Uh, I think it was also recently announced that we actually have a a nuclear-powered submarine, not with nuclear weapons, but nuclear-powered Tomahawk missiles, um, also there in the the vicinity. There is no doubt in my mind that if Iran made the wrong choices, um, that uh, they would absolutely suffer consequences.
0: Back to um, Iran using Hamas to bring this, knowing that it would probably uh, wipe Hamas out to stop Saudi Arabia from maybe entering the uh, Abraham Accord, does it really stop it or does it heighten the possibility now? Because at the end of the day, we don't understand the West, Sunnis and Shiites. At the end of the day, if Iran gets the nuke, Saudi Arabia has got to be nervous.
1: There's no doubt in my mind that, that uh, the Saudis—well, uh, they can't say that publicly in some cases, but that they are as deeply concerned about Iran as the United States is, or as is Israel. They live a lot closer, and uh, they have had basically 3,000 years of shared history, not all of which has been uh, very uh, friendly. And uh, there's no doubt that the Saudis and others in that region are deeply concerned about Iran and definitely don't want Iran to be more powerful than it is. In fact, they would really like to see it less powerful, for sure.
0: Do you think that Benjamin Netanyahu is going to go at it in spite of pressure from the United States to either do a pause, ceasefire, or slow down?
1: I think the prime minister will do small, very calculated uh, uh, pauses to allow humanitarian aid to go into the Gaza uh, area, the Gaza Strip. Uh, But I think that he is intent upon eliminating Hamas, and to do that, um, he's going to have to his his forces are going to have to go into those tunnels uh, in northern Gaza and root them out, root out Hamas. and uh, and destroy those tunnels once and for all. And uh, my guess will be, he's hinted, uh, he did a, you know, a uh, interview with, uh, I think it was ABC, and basically he hinted that there will be a uh, security role for the Israeli forces in Gaza for some time to come. And and the truth is, is, as I said, I don't see how this ends exactly at this point, but I do see Israel be involved in Gaza for some time to come.
0: In the meantime, we do have ships there in the Mediterranean, and apparently they've been used very effectively because Yemen is launching some rockets into Israel, and our ships have been able to block those. What would happen if they weren't there to do that?
1: Well, it would be very unfortunate. I, you know, for all the viewers, I, I was just talking about this with a friend of mine. Let's go back. Uh, you know, those those. Were cruise missiles in most cases, and uh, you know, uh, remotely piloted vehicles that were launched from a long ways away by the Houthis, um, Lebanon, where, uh, excuse me, the Hezbollah has uh, you know a large number of rockets and missiles, and a huge amount of capability. Hamas has the same thing. How did this happen? Now, all fingers point back to Iran, and Iran arming these, uh, you know, these groups. And, uh, and that is something that is going to have to increasingly draw our attention. And we cannot let the status quo continue in the decade to come. We are going to have to address Iran. I'm not saber-rattling. It can be done in a variety of different ways, but uh, Iran is a problem that has been regional and is growing.
0: All right, let me take a quick break. Uh, So honored to have back with us today, retired Army Major General Jeff Schlosser is back with us. Check out his website, jeffschlosser.com, and we'll be right back. We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, and boy, what an honor to have back with us today. Very timely, retired Army Major General Jeff Schlosser is back with us, aviator. Uh, He has served uh, our country well in so many positions, 15 months in combat in Afghanistan, uh, 34-year Army career, uh, served all over the world. He wrote a book called Maranatha War, Leadership in Combat in Afghanistan. There's a picture of the cover of the book. This is an amazing book. You may want to pick it up, and his website is jeffschloscher.com. General, I was thinking about this behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, we know, as it relates to this war in Israel, that we have Iran, Russia, and China. And you you, you connect the dots, you know that. But what's interesting to me about these players is that their own economy is so weak and so fragile. Uh, You kind of wonder how they still exist, but maybe you can comment on that. But given the fragileness of the economy and the wherewithal in Iran, what would be something that you could do to Iran that would cripple them but not wipe out innocent people?
1: And then, so Perry, you know, what's happened now is that those three countries that you mentioned, you know, and partially as a result of uh, Russians' invasion into Ukraine. By the way, I was in the Ukraine four four weeks ago. That's another whole thought process, but. Um, They all are sharing themselves, along with, you know, and and they are doing economic uh, transactions between themselves, and they're able to support themselves in ways that I think most of us were surprised, Uh, you know, for example, when we put sanctions on Russia uh, during the uh, beginning of the invasion of Ukraine. So that's gonna be really difficult to do it economically. And politically, they don't mind being pariahs. Uh, you know, they, I think they've demonstrated that they're quite happy just uh, communicating amongst themselves as well as with a few of the other countries, a couple in the South America and a few others around the world that are willing to do business with pariah nations. Um, so I'm not sure that we have either an economic or a political lever there. Now, militarily, you can tighten the noose around, uh, you know, around Iran but uh, Iran, itself, is a, is a very large country. It does have some some capabilities militarily. And so the military option is, 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 I think, right now, not the one that I would choose. Instead, what I would try to do is, is continue to isolate these countries as best as we possibly can. Again, I've already said that politically and economically, it's a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, but do it diplomatically as much as possible. Make sure that we have a military capability. You, you all know that I don't call myself a defense hawk, but I believe in national security for American interests. and. Uh, And I think that we have got to make sure that we have a capability uh, to be in one place as well as another place, and maybe even a third place, uh, simultaneously. I think it's demonstrating right now, you know, we're not doing the fighting in in Israel, we're not doing the fighting inside of the Ukraine, but we are supporting both of those countries, as we should be. Uh, But our defense industrial base is stretched. And uh, you know, the capability to go and do that, as well as deter China and Taiwan, which is absolutely critical. Uh, you know, we are a Pacific nation, among other things, and uh, the you know the territories in our own state, there, Hawaii, are not that far away. Uh, you know, as far as uh, a strategic uh, type of a capability from the Chinese, and so we've got to be involved in all three of those areas. Uh, deterrence is absolutely critical. It's hard when you have a state. Uh, actor, hard enough to figure out that, you know, how do you deter China, um, how do you deter Russia? Obviously, we didn't do a good job uh, on that one, but it's even harder to deter a terrorist group. I, you know, I tried, as you know, part of my career was spent doing that with the, the Counterterrorism Center and things of that nature. It is really, really hard uh, to think like those uh, uh, leaders do. So great question. I didn't give you a great answer. Um, I think it's going to be a combination of trying to isolate them. Uh, try to deter them militarily, ensure that we speak from strength, um, and, uh, and then as much as we possibly can, uh, understand that you know all things go around to economics and politics in this world, and we've got to make sure that we are strong and we continue to show them as prior states.
0: The other thing that's got me alarmed, uh, General, is the uprising uh, all over the world in support of Hamas. Since October seventh, which shows that there's an infiltration of that ideology in every country in the world, but more so in the major cities of the United States, that there's this pro-Hamas pushback. What's your take on it?
1: You know, I mean, for all of us, I think it's inconceivable that you know, um, you know, fellow U.S. citizens as well, you know, those in Europe and and others uh, would would link themselves to a terrorist group. Um, I have to believe that these people either have been hoodwinked, led a different way, or they're confusing, you know, very—what um, I would say is very logical, rational, humanitarian issues having to do with the Palestinian people, which is a completely—all the Pal- all Palestinians are not Hamas. And, you know, I mean, that's, we have to understand that. Um, but they're getting confused. Uh, it's one thing to be, you know, concerned about humanitarian aid going into Gaza. Uh, to support Palestinian civilians who are innocents. It's completely different to be supportive of Hamas, a terrorist group who basically mutilated uh, and killed uh, innocent civilians and children um, uh, just 30 days ago.
0: Um, I, th- I guess this sounds political. I don't mean it to be. But are you concerned that we have the fortitude with the current administration to be active in all these areas that you suggested to show strength and stability. It seems like we're reluctant to go. And I, and I say the same question almost for Israel. They are facing things down in Gaza and they are facing things up in Lebanon. And I don't know where else it's going to break out. They're going to be fighting a three or four front war. And we have to be Sending pressure to Iran and to Russia and to China and to stay away from Taiwan. Do we have the fortitude to do this?
1: That's a great question, Perry. You know, let's take it out of the political realm, and and specifically the administration, let's just talk about the U.S. people and our elected officials, whether they're, you know, the executive branch or the legislative. My concern is is that when we have what looks from outside sources disarray uh, in our own political system, it makes it look like we are weaker than what we potentially are. And uh, the worst thing possible is to have something happen and then have to go back and say, Actually, we're not weak, and we're about to show you we're not weak, and we're about to get whacked here. That's worse. Um, So I—you know, when you have situations like this where our Congress has had a hard time finding a speaker, where it's not clear that this, you know, the House is speaking to the administration in a way that—or vice versa. Um, that allows for a single, coherent, strong message coming from the U.S. people through its elected officials to Iran, to Russia, to China, then I think it's a problem.
0: I, I just am staggered by it because um, I think America is looking for strong, firm leadership. Now, I grant granted, we're, we're in a surrogate way involved in all of this, whether we like it or not. We're there. We're part of this. And if we don't show some fortitude... Uh, that emboldens the enemy. I can't help but think that somewhere along the line, China is going to say, "Hey, this is a perfect time for us to go after uh, Taiwan."
1: There is no doubt in my mind that China is looking not only at you know what's happening in the, around the world, uh, what's happening in Gaza and Israel, uh, how our response is to Iran, but also in the Ukraine. There is no doubt in my mind that they're going to, they're going to school on us, and that we should expect them to learn from. Uh, either the weakness that we're demonstrating or those parts where we're actually demonstrating some power. There's no doubt in my mind China's going to school on us.
0: Outside of your faith, how do you sleep at night knowing all this stuff?
1: <laughs> faith is an important thing, Perry, as you well know.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, 30 seconds, what happened in Ukraine? What would you discover there?
1: The Ukrainian people are being hit very hard. We drove through small towns. There are no places, no graveyards that don't have pictures and flags and flowers of uh, their dead servicemen that have uh, been killed. No town. That said, the people I talk to there are absolutely convinced that they must, they must defeat Russia. It's not a question of, uh, you know, do we have enough guns, do we have enough weapons, etc. They must. They see themselves as the harbinger of uh, keeping the Russia away from the rest of uh, wow. the world.
0: Hey, friend, good to see you. Thank you for your time. We value it greatly. Maybe we can connect again down the road. Prayers and thoughts with you, and uh, stay safe, buddy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at the Dove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.